Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcast. I'm Matt Robeson. I'm really excited about today's show. I'm really excited. Look, I'm an NBA fan. I listen to a lot of NBA podcasts. I listen to a lot of sports podcasts. Big fan of The Low Post with Zach Lowe, Bill Simmons, and The BS Report. They do some gimmick shows. And I have wanted to do this kind of a thing. It's a gimmick. I will fully admit that it's a gimmick. I get it, but it's fun. And, you know, look, there's so much in politics and in the world today that is downright a bummer, depressing, terrible, but it doesn't mean that we can't try to have a little bit of fun with it, even though the subject material is super duper serious. So I started thinking, how can I do a show that uses one of these fun gimmicks and, you know, where we can just kind of chop it up with someone who's really super smart and incisive on politics. And that's where I thought of Jason Sattler. If you don't recognize that name, first of all, it means that you're not listening closely enough to our podcast. He's a previous guest on Beyond Politics, but more notably to his hundreds and hundreds of thousands of fans on Twitter. He's best known by his Twitter handle, LOL GOP. He's also a former columnist for USA Today, a current columnist for the editorial board where I also currently contribute, and he is a fantastic political analyst. Jason, welcome back to Beyond Politics. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm a bit of a gimmick myself, so I think I am perfect for this kind of a conversation. Yeah, you know from gimmicks, right? Exactly. Yes, all right. I, so I love it. all caveats understood here. There's a sure. little bit of a gimmick, but it's a fun way to get into some of the biggest pressing, burning questions going on right now in politics. So the gimmick is, and I'm stealing Zach Lowe, Bill Simmons. If you're listening, first of all, retweet me. Second of all, I'm stealing from you. They did this thing. Are we sure that dot, 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 and they related it to the NBA. We're going to relate it to politics. And we just, we independently came up with a list of, are we sure that questions that we're going to lob at each other? And then we'll, we'll discuss. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to give myself the first question. Let's dive in. All right, here we go. Are we sure, Jason Sattler, that nothing even worse is going to come out on Herschel Walker? I would say at this point in time, I, I would say the House looks like about 50-50 odds that it's going to go Democrat, 50-50 odds it's going to go Republican. The Senate, to me, looks similar. I, I think people kind of have different odds on that. That's how it looks in my brain right now. I would say there's 100% odds that we're going to get much worse information about Herschel Walker. I don't know if there's anything come out that's more embarrassing than Herschel Walker trying to talk about what uh, Herschel Walker believes. I think that's probably the most embarrassing thing about Herschel Walker. Right? There was a there's, there's something I've been trying to kind of ar articulate about him that feels as I, I become wider as I say it, but there's an article today in the USA Today about how he embodies every negative stereotype about African-American men. And I think that's what Republicans like about him. So I think there is going to be scandal after scandal. We're going to get worse after worse. It's, it, 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 he is like Trump in that way, in the sense that the, the bottom is just a chasm that we can never see the bottom of. And it's not going to hurt him with Republicans. I think he has 40, 60, 46, 47 percent. And we're going to get much worse. I think he probably paid for half of the abortions in, in, in Georgia, to be honest. And I, I think that that wouldn't, if, as Shannon Watts, who started Moms Demand, pointed out, if it was a woman, that would have ended his career. His campaign would be over. But he could pay for them all because the, that this is really about controlling women's bodies. It doesn't, it's not a hypocrisy for him to control women's bodies. That's what the whole thing's all about. So I, I think much, much worse is coming and Republicans actually like it. They like that about him. That's what they're looking for in him. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, look, even before the news broke about this, 
they knew inside the campaign. I sound like Mark Ruffalo in Spotlight. They knew, they knew, they, they knew. Okay, like they've known for more than a year. There's been reporting about this. There, there are four people with knowledge of the preliminary discussions about this within the campaign. This goes back over a year. And look, this is a guy who, I mean, USA Today is kind of right. He does embody the worst negative racist stereotypes that Republicans seem to hold and also sort of their avatar. I just put out a video on Cliff Schechter's YouTube channel. People should check that out. It's called The Takedown about how this seems, he seems to be the avatar for how Republicans think fathers should behave toward sons, look no further than Donald Trump. But right. yeah, I mean, with all of that prep, they knew about this for more than a year. They completely fumbled the response. He claimed, even though the woman involved brought receipts like, this isn't what the kids are saying these days. They brought yes. receipts. She yes. literally brought receipts. <laughs> yes. And he's saying on TV, check. Oh, oh, I know nothing about this. This is news to me. So they fumbled the response despite all that preparation. The point is, this is very Rumsfeldian. There are unknown unknowns to people inside the campaign. And given his pattern of behavior, a guy who is conceded holding a gun to his wife's head, stalking women outside a window, almost killing a man during a road rage. Yeah, there's probably more stuff out there. I, you say 100%. I, I'd go at least 50-50 that there are more <laughs> shoes yet to drop. All right, you get the next one. Yeah, I, I would say that... You know, the the scandal the fact that it's about abortion hurts him more than the fact that it's about because anything the abortion just to add a bit there anything abortion hurts republicans this year is kind of a big theme i'm saying there so are we sure that the scandals even ranks in the top five of the worst scandals we've had for the republican party in the last let's go back to uh you know tapping in the bathroom at the airport in, in the early aughts yeah is this even in the top five all right that's a that's a tough one this is a this is like the mount rushmore of republican hypocrisy scandals i'm gonna go with by gut no so look first of all just this year republican representative clay higgins also had to concede that he put a gun to his wife's head threatening that if she divorced him um he would kill her and this is someone who is endorsed by top republicans and donald trump I mean, this is in the same cycle. This is basically the same thing that is toward the top of the list of Herschel Walker's crimes. So, I mean, right there, you have something that's at least on par. But yeah, you've got, you were just referring to Larry Craig, the Republican senator who was caught in a Minneapolis airport bathroom with his wide, for, for the kids out there, just Google Larry Craig scandal. Yeah. It's it's just breathtaking. It's absolutely breathtaking. It's a time capsule of homophobia too. <laughs> it's yeah. Really oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's absolutely unbelievable. You know, he does this. It's, I could not make this up. I think I'm a pretty good creative writer. You are too. I could not invent this. Yeah. David Vitter, the Republican Senator yeah. from Louisiana, Plastic. who his, his, Phone number was found in the little black book of the D.C. madam who was running a prostitution ring. That was a good one. Let me hit you with Mark Foley again for the kids out there. You have to Google from 16 years ago. This is a Republican representative who was su sending suggestive messages to teenage boys who had previously served as congressional pages. Speaking of creepy predator behavior, how about Roy Moore for you? Just just. Four or five years ago. So yeah, this isn't this isn't even oh, I forgot the coup de gras. I forgot the big one. How about Donald Trump, who <laughs> has been accused by at least 18 women of uh sexual harassment or sexual assault? So uh, no, Herschel, I'm sorry. You are not even in the top five. You don't make 
the top nominations for the Heisman Trophy of Republican hypocrisy? Uh, I was, I was, there's so much. I, I was, your coup de grace, I, I thought it was going to be Dennis Hastert. And, you know, but that didn't come out until after he was out of office. And there, I mean, that, that thinking back to that 2006 era of, of to tie it back to Herschel Walker, another, we had Ralph Reed, who had got caught, caught up in all of these different scandals. He thought his career was over in 2006, you know, just extorting money allegedly to, to, to Native Americans and tribe, just, just, just horrible things. And Ralph Reed is the guy who's out there telling us today that Herschel Walker saved, so we don't need to worry about anything he's done in his past. So it, 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 the full circle is not even, it, it, it never stops spinning, the, the hypocrisy wheel in the Republican Party. Yeah, it's, all right. So so Herschel Walker is now a, a multi-time loser here. It's going to get worse for him, we're saying. And even despite that, he can't even crack the top five in, in the worst hypocrisies oh, of the last one years. All right, here's one for you. This is a little bit of a layup because I think I know the answer on it, but are we sure that Democrats are about to lose the House? We're not sure. We're not sure of anything at the point. That's I think that's why this is such a great topic for this. Are we sure? Because we all wish we were sure about everything. We wish we had that needle. Actually, that's the needle that drove us crazy in 2016 and could actually point in the right direction of what's going on here. I, I Like I've said, I, I jumped the gun and, and got deep into this and I, I think it's 50-50. I think whoever... Here's my big prediction on this. I think whoever wins the House is going to win the Senate and vice versa. I think oh, Democrats, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be somewhat of a wave. I, I don't think that the, who, the party that loses is going to get out unscathed. I don't think it's going to be a split, and which is very, very scary in a lot of ways there. Uh, I think the predictions, I mean, the Democrats are now, there was a new CNN poll that came out today where Democrats are up, I think, at two or three points on the generic ballot. And then they look at competitive districts and they're behind like six or seven points. But it is so hard to tell, gerrymandering, there are five to six di- districts in you know, Mississippi and, and Louisiana that should be Democratic competitive districts, the Democrats should have a shot. You know, there's a competitive district in Rhode Island that, that could end up going to Republican for the first time. And since I, they invented Rhode Island or they, it was discovered by, by Rhode, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, this, there are wild things going on here. You know, even in, in, in Michigan, we have a, a house race for John James, who's lost the Senate twice, it looks to be up in this district where Gretchen Whitner is up by almost 20%. So that we have straight ticket voting in, in Michigan, which is something that will bring the numbers even, but it makes it really tough for a, a Republican to win if it's a huge, huge Democratic mm. wave. So I'm thinking this is wave either way. And I think it's, as, to me, it's as likely it's a Democratic wave as it is a Republican wave at this point. And then, but we have the Saudi Arabians making sure that our gas prices are, are going up. That helps Republicans a lot. So there are just incredible amounts of variables that, that just make this so unpredictable that this is a big, are we sure? No, we're not sure of anything. But yeah, I'm interested to see what you think. I, I think it's essentially, you know, it's interesting that you think it's all going to be kind of correlated one way or the other with the two chambers. I'm not so sure. I think that the races, it does come down to a lot of randomness and a lot of individual races that, may turn on the idiosyncrasies of those individual races. We just saw that we were talking about Georgia and Herschel Walker and, you know, crazy stuff with Fetterman versus Oz for that Senate race in Pennsylvania. You know, each one, it's like the Anna Karenina principle. Every happy family is the same. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Each of these races is unhappy in its own way. And you could see some, some, you, you could see some divergence emerging here based on the particulars of a race. You know, the, uh, the big question is, I think what you just raised is like, is there going to be a further October surprise? Is there going to be another shoe to drop in one of these races? Something that's that's specific to one of them. Like if you're in a Virginia two house race or Pennsylvania seven, one of these 
ultra tight swing seat races. What if you get a late scandal? What if what if there's something particular to the dynamics of that district, like a gas price rise hits particularly hard there? There's a high profile murder that makes the crime issue more salient. All these things are so hard to predict. I I, yeah. I just don't know. I just don't know. But I'm not sure. I'm I'm far from sure. All right, over to you. You're up. Yeah. Yes. I, I would say to you, have we thought about now thinking about how bad Republicans are doesn't ever kind of give us a prediction of how bad they could be. Have we thought, are we sure we know how bad it could be if Republicans take the House? I have a, an excellent imagination. I sound like Donald Trump. I have a great brain. Right? It's <laughs> I have the like, greatest imagination. What the hell does that mean? You know, um, <laughs> I've been told by Imagineers from across the land. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give you a, a no, and I'm going to give you a no for a very simple reason. I just had former U.S. Senator Russ Feingold on the show. You're in good company, Jason. And he's talking about his new book about the right wing move to create, to call a new constitutional convention, to rewrite the Constitution under kind of a right wing Looney Tunes fantasy world vision of the world. And his point is, we're a lot closer to this happening then we realize a Republican House, so if Republicans take the House, they could just deem that we've met the threshold to have one of these new constitutional conventions. And his point is also that even if it doesn't come together, there could be all kinds of confusion, chaos, uncertainty. You know, is this real? They've been, there's like a right-wing like conspiracy mob that's been getting together in hotel conference rooms and like live drilling this and planning it sort of, it's it's weird. It's like Super Bowl team doing a walkthrough. So for that reason alone, I, I think that we have not really thought hard enough about how bad it could be because there are all these crazy pathways I mean, there's all the conventional stuff like, yeah, they can make they can give tough votes to swing seat Democrats. They can they could impeach Joe Biden. They could do all kinds of Benghazi style investigations. But I think it's this. your question was, have we thought about it? And I think there is stuff that we haven't thought enough about that could be really, really bad. And for instance, refusing to certify a Democratic president becoming president ever, ever. You can't win. We, we've decided that the rule is that only only Republicans can win. The, I mean, if we have at certain point, the Congress has to certify the winner of the presidency. And we, as we learned on January 6th, that is not as much a foregone conclusion as we imagined at one point in history. So let me hit you then. I had yes. one here that was the sort of the Senate version of this. Are we sure that Republicans aren't about to take over the Senate? And I mean, for the foreseeable future here, because not just this cycle, but but kind of rolling forward, because if they do, you know, they could basically sabotage the ability of any Democratic president to govern, and they could continue to sort of hold their hammerlock on the Supreme Court. Are we sure that they aren't about to sort of occupy the Senate for, for a good long time here? This is this is what keeps me up in the morning. This is this is the late 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 keeping me up because I mean I, I they're just we're talking about wild variables. Would anybody think that Nevada would be closer than Arizona? Would anybody think that Nevada would be closer than Georgia or maybe even Pennsylvania? Like we could lose if Democrats lose Nevada, the chances of them holding a Senate majority for the next getting a Senate majority back, even the 50-50 majority, you, we have the, the, the barest, the, the white white knuckle majority that we have right now is almost impossibility. 
we have a chance right now, the only chance we have of this decade to pick up North Carolina, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. If these seats are lost, the chances of them being won again in 2028, when there's a, a Republican president on the, on the ballot, are almost zero. The chance of Democrats ever getting a Senate majority is very, very spare if they lose it this time. I, I don't know why there isn't a mass movement, because this is, Republicans have said, even, even the St. even Saint John McCain was saying in 2016, if Hillary Clinton's elected, we're never going to appoint a Supreme Court justice. And this was in the middle of the Merrick Garland. That's, that's not just, you can't appoint a Secretary of State. You can't appoint a Secretary of Defense. The NR, there's some really good labor stuff that's going on, you know, as weak as our labor laws are because of the NR. LB, which is difficult to say, and I'm not even sure if I got the acronym, acronym right. You know, Democrats have a controlling of that board. The chance of that ever happening again, if they don't keep the control of the Senate, if we, if we lose one of those seats, are zero. I just think there should have been a bigger movement of, uh, I, Soros and I should have sat down in, in March and said, listen, winning these Senate seats, we can't let Nevada even be close. I know Adam Laxalt, who's the Republican nominee, who's a well-known guy there, had 14 members of his family come out yesterday and say they wouldn't vote for him. But that's not enough because it's still way too close in Nevada. So anything to add to that one? What what worries me is the 2024 map. I think you you said it all. I, I would just kind of put an expl- exclamation point on whatever the things look like this time. And it, it does look pretty close that we might hold on to the Senate. 2024 is not great. There are 30. The way it works in the Senate is 100 senators, and they do a third of the seats every two years. So there are 33 Senate seats up for re-election or election in 2024. 23 of them are held by Democrats, which means there are a ton of targets. And a lot of those, if you kind of go seat by seat, you have incumbents like Ben Cardin in Maryland, Tom Carper in Delaware, who aren't necessarily committed to running for re-election and might be the best if only candidate. There are credible Republicans like Larry Hogan in Maryland who could come in and really contest those seats to say nothing of John Tester in Montana and, of course, Joe Manchin in West Virginia. It's it's going to be a rough, rough cycle. And so, yeah, if we don't hold on now, um, and especially if Republicans get the opportunity to keep burrowing in on some of these secretary of state races. Let's say they get independent state legislature theory through the Supreme Court. Like yes. there's all kinds of shenanigans that could tilt the map and make it even, even harder for Democrats in 2024. If if we if if we can can't get through that particular like narrows, we could be in trouble for a while. Jason, I think you've got the next one. Are we sure that we shouldn't be paying more attention to North Carolina than, than we are to Ohio? Ohio has gotten a lot of attention because J.D. Vance has gotten it's so bad. He's so kind of an obnoxious and just a, but are we not paying enough attention to North Carolina to kind of tie it together here on, on, the, on the Senate? All right. I'm going to hit the hot take alert button here and say, I actually kind of agree with the way Democrats are treating both of these, which is to ghost them like Herschel Walker ghosting his children. I think that that the lack of investment, look, Steve Schmidt, the noted Republican strategist, tweeted earlier this week that he's shocked. He's shocked that the Republicans have injected $40 million of MAGA money into J.D. Vance's campaign in Ohio, zero for Tim Ryan. And he's like, what's up with that? Well, I'll tell you what's up with that is that if you look at North Carolina and you look at Ohio, they are Lucy and the football for Democrats over and over again. In North Carolina right now, Bud, 
holds could you come up with a better republican candidate <laughs> but you know 538 has him 70% chance to win over Sherry Beasley you know the polling average 50 he's over 50% 50.6% you know and then you look at Ohio it's basically the same deal JD Vance is, is a 70% likelihood to win on 538 and the 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 point with both of these states is this is triage you've got to triage when you're when you're looking at the national map the thing that matters ultimately, it's like my favorite quote from Apollo 13, power is everything. They meant it about a spacecraft. I mean it about elections. You need the majority in the U.S. Senate. You've got to get to 50 if you're the Democrats. And you don't really care. Love you. I actually really liked Tim Ryan. I was a staffer when he was a congressman. I really liked Tim Ryan. But I'm sorry, that's not the pathway that gets us there. And if you look at those two states compared to the others that are on the board, Ohio, super expensive media markets. You've got to plunk down a lot of your precious resources to really contest things there. And you're judging, where's my better pathway? Is it there? Or is it Nevada with, with Cortez Masto, who is at least a 50-50 shot? Is it maybe Pennsylvania, where Fetterman is consistently up three to five points in the polls against Mehmet Oz? If you hold New Hampshire, where Maggie Hassan is up over Don Bolduc pretty consistently, anywhere six to 10 points, you, you really are, are down at that point to Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. Well, we've talked about Georgia. Every poll that's come out since the abortion news on Herschel Walker has shown Raphael Warnock up, including from pollsters who previously had Herschel Walker ahead. So it looks like Warnock is in a in a decent position there. We know that's a purple state. We know it's a state where Democrats can win. You know, and Arizona is also looking like a better deal for Democrats. Bottom line here to me is, you know, North Carolina, it would seem like a good shot. Ohio it would seem like a good shot if these other places weren't better shots. So uh, I am sure, I am sure that those races should continue to wither on the vine from national Democrats' perspective. I would just add one thing to that is I, I heard kind of off the record from a pollster is the best matchup you could have in 2022 is to be a pro-choice woman running against a, a anti-choice man. So to me, I, I, I am Charlie Brown. I, I won't go after the football. I think, I think Tim Ryan's greatest accomplishment is getting them to have to spend any money in, in Ohio. Republicans shouldn't have to spend a dime unless they're running against Sherrod Brown to, to hold that seat. That's a huge, that's, but I do think Sherrod Beasley could surprise. I've also thought that in, in the past, I thought that we, we were going to hold the Senate seat in, in 2014 and when there wasn't a chance to do it. So the, the, at least there is a history in the recent history of, of Democrats winning it. I, I, I'm, when we start talking about Utah and we start talking about real fantasies like Missouri or Ohio, Democrats thankfully haven't gone for the football that bad this time. I think North Carolina, Lucy could have tricked me with that one. I, I do think Tim Ryan holding his own is, is interesting enough on its own. Well, look, this is no consolation to those candidates and, and, and yeah. the Democrats in those states, but you're doing a massive service for America by tying up huge amounts of Republican resources there. You're just, if, if you're talking about crunch time and triage, uh, we just can't go all the way. All right, I've got one for you. And this is, Please. Uh, I, I thought of this particularly because you are a Michigan political expert. You're based in Michigan. You wrote a great piece for the editorial board a few months ago about why we should all be paying more attention to Michigan. We talked about it on Beyond Politics. So your girl, Gretchen Whitmer, 
Are we sure that Gretchen Whitmer isn't going to be the front runner for the 2024 Democratic nomination? I, if she were a man, she would be 100%. I would, I would guarantee it. And you're seeing this, starting to see this because Josh Shapiro um, in, in Pennsylvania, who's another great candidate, is showing similar poll numbers. I'll just tell you how bleak it is for Republicans right now in, in, in Michigan. And, you know, I, this could be cocky and this is all come back to bite me, of course, but that's what we, that's the risk we take when we, we conjure the political gods and start talking about the future. But there's a poll that came out this morning that showed Gretchen Whitner up 11%. And Republicans are celebrating that poll because the last one showed her up 16%. She's not going to win by 11%, even though she won close by 10% last time, just because we have straight ticket voting in, in Michigan. As again, that means you vote you vote Republican, you vote Democrat, you're pretty much done. You, we, have, we, have, we have enough Republicans here where you're not going to win that big. But I do think this is an issue where Gretchen Whitmer has taken on abortion rights, bodily autonomy, whatever you want to call it, controlling your own body, basic human rights, the things we were born with that we thought we were going to have for the rest of our lives, and, and championing that. We have a law that banned abortion in 1931. She, she personally went to court to protect that law, we don't. She she was able to win in court because of that. We still have basically Roe in effect. We also have a ballot initiative on the ballot, Prop Three, which would basically codify Roe. So she has so many things going for her, and she's so grabbed the zeitgeist that if she looked like Ron DeSantis, which would be you know like George W. Bush impersonator on cameo, then she would definitely be the the, the front runner. And Joe Biden would be miserable because they'd be talking about it all the time. She is such. She, this is a state you need to win, and, and she is so dominating that state that, that we would absolutely be talking about it. But I also think there's another interesting point to tie back to. It's so interesting to see what happens in a state where we've expanded voting rights, we've gotten rid of gerrymandering, and the Republican Party has just crumbled. They just It's just propping them up. It's just keeping... We talk about all these little tricks that they have, the independent legislative theory, the constitutional convention, all of these things they're doing that, that to take power that are illegitimate that are just changing the rules of the game late. And when it gets fair, they, the party just disappears and they nominate absolute blathering fools because that's who the party has become at this point when you're remade in the image of Donald Trump. Yeah, actually, it's, it's very interesting that you say that. It reminds me of your question about, are we, when you were asking me, are we sure that we've really thought about how bad things could be in the House? You know what I completely skated over is, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert are going to be in like leadership positions for <laughs> Republicans take over the House. And, you know, it's like at a certain point, Democrats keep hoping that the utter obviousness of how insane and foolish, I, I think the, the portmanteau is ignoranuses. It's like when you're stupid, oh, I can't say I can't say the word for our radio listeners. Right. Yeah, yes, where yes. I'm going with this, it's like the Republican Party is filled with these people. And Andrew Sullivan, Andrew Sullivan wrote this past week, Herschel Walker is the GOP these days. He is. I'm sorry to my Republican friends, including panelists who appear on my show every week. I'm sorry. This is what the party has become. There's not really a difference anymore. And I just, I just wrote this. I just wrote this for the editorial board that Democrats were right to meddle in all those Republican primaries because the people who were carping on about, oh, how can you speak out of both sides of your mouth? All these MAGA, big lie types. They're so terrible. How can you prop them up? It's like the inherent assumption there is that there's really a difference between those people and the supposedly more moderate alternative candidates coming out of the, they're all going to vote the same. They're all going to knuckle under to Donald Trump and MAGAism you know, the very few that have some backbone left to stand up to that kind of thing are, are the Liz Cheney types who are getting rolled out of the party. Yep. So I, I'm I'm sorry. I actually am someone who believes in a healthy conservative party in this country. As a counterpoint, we, we do better when we have two parties that are in 
in competition and communication, <laughs> talking to each other, restraining each other's most extreme impulses. I'm a centrist. So I, I would like to see a healthy Republican Party. I would. We just don't have one right now. So no, you're right. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. I just have to throw in there. There's one point is I don't think we need a healthy conservative party. I think we need a healthy centrist Republican Party that just doesn't exist. And it's just a dream to believe that. But I think your point about them, I loved your article, that article about so-called meddling that Democrats are doing. And we have a, a race, one of these races here in Michigan where Meyer, one of the Meyer errors, if you've ever seen, been to Michigan, you, we have like they're, they're the Walmart, Walmart's, you know, fancy Walmart, our Meyers. He voted for the impeachment, but he also voted against the first impeachment. He also voted against voting rights. He voted like every other, he had one good vote and he lost his career over that one good vote, which is sad for him, but it, it was the only good vote he ever took. And the meddling the Democrats so-called did in there is they, he was going to lose anyway. They did an ad beforehand explaining how bad his opponent was. And that supposedly helped him. So why is that meddling? Why who why is that Democrats part? As you point, this guy loves Donald Trump. He's just like Donald Trump. He would, he would throw at your vote. How how is that if that helps him, then your party's the problem. It's not our party's the problem. He was going to win anyway. And Democrats needed to get out there and make sure when the story is when they win, it's like he is already branded and people know who they're getting because otherwise. There, people have this memories of George H.W. Bush, who, who still did the Willie Horton thing. But like we have this memories of the Republican Party that, that made sense. And you can't let people believe that that's the Republican Party that, that exists today. Well, look, it's really hard for me because, as I pointed out in the article, the things that I am most proud of in my career as a congressional staffer, I achieved working hand in hand in partnership with Republicans things like expanding healthcare coverage for young people, which became part of the ACA, things like creating an economic development commission. Again, like I'm not trying to overinflate my role in this. I'm a staffer, there are members of Congress, but I was doing the legwork and all this stuff. And I was doing it sitting down with Republican colleagues who I genuinely liked, respected. We'd hang out together, we'd do work together. I, I felt the same way when I worked in the state Senate of New Hampshire. I had and have Republican colleagues who I maintain relationships with who I genuinely respect. I just, so I am pining for that yesteryear harder yeah. than just about anyone I know. It just, it's an illusion. It doesn't exist anymore. And it's, it's, it's sad. By the way, just quickly back to your Gretchen yeah. point about like, look, I think the threshold question is, is Joe Biden going to run again? And he, it seems like based on what he just told Jake Tapper in an interview Maybe his decision in the 2020 cycle was he thought he was the only person who could beat Donald Trump. I happen to agree with him. I think he I think he was right about that. And what he basically in, in code language just told Tapper was, if I think that's still true, I will run again. If I think someone else could win, I won't. And so that's the that's the threshold. But am I sure that he's going to run again? No. And I think as you start to look down the alternative list, notwithstanding the fact that our two most recent Democratic presidents were former senators, in general, the view is that governors are better positioned. They're not tainted by the stink of Washington. And, you know, look, I, I think about the Paul Begala rule, which is there are only two kinds of election campaigns you run in America. It's let's stay the course or hey, it's time for a change. And so what you don't want to be is a stay the course candidate up against a change candidate. And Republicans could very easily have a change candidate in 2024. And so we would want one as well. We'd want a non-Washington insider. It might be time 
to finally to have a woman who, who who can win. We thought we had one maybe in 2016. We did not. And, you know, I, I actually really like Kamala Harris, but she's not lighting it up in polls. So I guess my answer is, I'm not sure. I, I, I would have to put Gretchen Whitmer at the very, very tippy top of the list, but there's a chance. I, I, I'd say there's a chance. You, you made me think of two are we sure's that I've had in mind, but I'm, I'm going to go with the first one because I think the last one is probably the, the one about having my own Biden is probably a good closer. But are we sure on the other side that Carrie Lake, who is someone who is seeking nightmares early in the morning, the Republican candidate for a governor in, in Arizona and the, the an insurrectionist, I think, who is probably has the best chance of winning in the nation. Are we sure she isn't the front runner for Republican Party in, in, in 2024? Let me be intentionally provocative about this okay. by stating more sureness than I actually have. I'm yes. going to say, yes, I'm sure that she won't, <laughs> even though deep down, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not that sure because, you know, as you were just saying, it's such a qualification these days to be loopier than the next gal or the next guy. And she is nuttier than squirrel poo. But I think that there are, we used to talk in, in both parties about swim lanes for the for the nomination, right? And, you know, you'd kind of say like, on the Democrats side, well, there's a swim lane to be the progressive, and there's a swim lane to be the centrist. And on the Republican side, I think there are four swim lanes in 2024. There's one mm -hmm. lane that's, can you be Donald Trump? And there's only one swimmer in that lane, okay? And then there's a lane that's right next to it, which is, can you be Donald Trump without his particular baggage? And I think Carrie Lake has a legit shot to be the front runner in that lane, but currently Ron DeSantis is out front there. And she has some advantages. She's a better communicator than he is. She's a lot more polished than he is. She didn't cosplay a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader when she was inspecting a hurricane site like he did with those white boots last week. So she's got some stuff going for her, but he's out in front in that lane right now. He has a huge national fundraising network. Fox News has been very DeSantis curious for the last six months. So I, he's out ahead there. There are some other lanes, right? Like there's the I'm anti-Trump, but not like in your face. So, so that's like the Nikki Haley kind of lane, hmm. uh, maybe Chris Sununu from New Hampshire. And then there's the, I hate Trump. We need to save the Republican party and the Republic. Liz Cheney is out front in that lane, but she's going to get smoked. So, you know, she's, she's behind in all of those lanes. And I, I would say that I'm reasonably certain that she's not the front runner, but not hundred percent certain. I will buy the lane theory if we can think of it in terms of it going around a bumper car rink. That's kind of what I think that Trump figured out about the Republican Party is they like Republicans that attack other Republicans. I think DeSantis is going to really suck at that when it comes into the primary. I think that Donald Trump, someone pointed out, someone's going to call him Miss Florida once and he's going to fall apart. I feel like DeSantis is Scott Walker in my mind. I was terrified of Scott Walker in 2020 and then he just... I mean, 2016, and he just completely crumbled, and it's just just one turned out to be like an amazingly bad politician for a good for, for someone who was a good politician at one point in time. Yeah, I liked um, him better the first time when his name was pronounced Tim Pawlenty. Right, exactly. It was it was, it, was, it, it, it the, the crumbling happened so fast. I think the thing that Carrie Lake has going for her, and and why she's so scary, she is amazing on TV. And and for someone who hates everything she says, for me to say that I, she is just who mm. who Republicans in a way. The female Trump, like she just inspires 
that kind of vitriol and hatred and confidence in a, in a focused kind of way. And if she goes after DeSantis and pants DeSantis, I think she would pull, quickly pull ahead of him. That said, okay, I have a, there's a kind of follow up on this that if I jump in, are we sure there's even going to be a 2024 primary? Because I uh, no, no. <laughs> well, you you go first. You answer your own question first. I have, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I have I jumped, strong I jumped feelings on this one. No, go. Yeah, yeah. You go. You answer. I, I feel like if, if Donald Trump runs, they're canceling everything. They're going to pretend to have a primary, and it it just they're just going to put it in in a room in Mar-a-Lago and 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 have it done in one day, and and, and or he's going to go to a rally in each state. I, I don't think it's happening. I think he controls the Republican Party in a way no one ever has. Right. Why bother? Why bother? Yeah. They've already shown that they're they're willing to go full authoritarian, like not, not like play footsie authoritarian. What they're they're gonna cancel everything. No, you're totally right. Here's my here's my angle on this, and I, this yeah. is not original to me. I don't see a scenario where he he doesn't run me for either. two reasons. One is psychological. We've all kind of made a cottage industry out of psychoanalyzing this idiot, but if he's out, he's irrelevant. All he cares about is seeing the the image in the in the monitor on TV and hearing himself. I like to hear myself talk too. That's why I'm on the radio. But for Pete's sake, I mean, if he's out, he's irrelevant. All these people immediately become relevant. It's the Sarah Palin effect. Like, yeah. you know, she discovered like, wait a second, if I'm not actually in a position of power and I'm just like an idiot, I, nobody gives me money. <laughs> yeah. So like. <laughs> That there's that factor, but then there's also he's like one step ahead of the law, maybe like half a step, and he's he's facing multiple real indictments, and his only hope might be to delay so that the prosecution becomes kind of practically impossible during the height of a presidential campaign. I I think he's got to run for that reason alone. I think that there's absolutely zero chance that Donald Trump gives up a chance to get the one job in the world where he can't be indicted. Right, 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 right. Or where he can at least play martyr and fundraise off yes. of the, because this was all a money-making scheme to begin with, and it continues to be a money-making scheme. And I think he really enjoyed the, the, that immunity and having the, the DOJ operating as his law firm. I mean, I think I, I think he absolutely want, aims for the power. He believes he, he is a kind of Norman Vincent Peale, old school, will yourself to power kind of, Nietzsche kind of will yourself to power kind of way. But, and I said that they were going to have the, the, the primary in Mar-a-Lago. They probably would have it at Nuremberg. But I think that Trump sees himself as, uh, as having ultimate power. And, and he, he thinks he can win and he needs to win. And the incentives for him winning, as you point out, are incredibly high. The story just came out yesterday. He spent $7 million from the Save America PAC in his last filing on legal fees. We were wondering where that $100 million or so that he had on hand was going to go because he wasn't spending it. And in in campaigns, helping anyone else other than himself, and yeah, I mean, this is this is probably again, if he's irrelevant, if he's not running, then that money's going to start to dry up. It's going to start to go to people who are actually on the ballot. He's going to need it for all the incompetent lawyers who are themselves. You know what the 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 joke is in Republican circles now? It's that MAGA stands for Make Attorneys Get Attorneys because all of his lawyers are going to be under indictment too because they all went and lied to the DOJ about the Mar-a-Lago files. All right, let me give you one. Are we sure Nancy Pelosi won't retire in 2023? And I'm specifically saying in 2023. I 100% believe she will retire if there's not a chance to pass serious legislation. So, meaning if Democrats, if she wins the House and Democrats don't have the Senate, she retires. If she loses the House, if Democrats lose the House, she retires. If she has a chance to pass legislation, and there's no one better at passing legislation, say what you will about Nancy Pelosi. You, you, got, you have her husband buying stocks he shouldn't be buying, and we have all kinds of problems. She's not the greatest on TV. 
She is the most effective speaker of house of the house in maybe American history. Definitely the most effective woman speaker of house because she's the only one. But she is just a fantastic legislature legislator. And it, you, Joe Biden wouldn't have had the successful that, that he did this time around if if she wasn't in power. And if she has a chance to legislate, she's not going to give that up. Is my is my opinion about that? What do you think? If she's right, so if, if we hold a majority, well. Both have- yeah, I mean, I, no, I, that's a point. That's a point. That's a point. Maybe you're right about that, that if we've got both chambers, maybe she rolls with it. I agree with you. And, you know, I was a staffer during her first go round as speaker. And what I really admire about her is that she's much better as speaker this go round. And that uh, that's inspiring to me that yeah. people can continue to improve and add to their game as they get older, even when they've achieved sort of the top rungs of their profession. I'm, I actually, I'm super impressed about that alone. So I really do admire her. Her most important role, besides being a great legislator, is she is a massive rainmaker for Democrats. Her fundraising, if you go back, like go on to Open Secrets and just like look at through September of 2020, her Nancy Pelosi Victory Fund raised $23.7 million. She her own campaign committee transferred another 1.6 million to the DCCC. Her leadership pack contributed the maximum $10,000 to almost every House Democrat running last cycle. There are tens of millions of dollars coming through Nancy Pelosi. If you look at all the rest of the leadership Democrats in the House, boy, it's not even close. It's like each gave about a million total. It's it's, it's many, many multiples. So I think that she is going to want to be strategic about this. It's it's sort of a no-brainer to me that if if Democrats are in the minority, she's not going to want to slog through that and she's going to want new leadership to emerge. So I think she retires in 2023 to have a special election, safe seat for Democrats in San Francisco, let a new leadership, let that leaders that messy leadership campaign play out in 2023 rather than in the run-up to 2024 you know, and and let those new rainmakers emerge and get a national profile. But I think the same argument could apply if she holds the chamber, that she's going to think about the long-term health of the House. But I think your point is actually a really good one, though, that if she has an opportunity to legislate while there's a Democratic president and a like a Dem trifecta, that may be too enticing. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm going to throw a hot take that just came up as who could replace her as a fundraiser? I didn't even think about that. There literally is one person in the house who could. AOC? She's the only one who could raise that much money. And I mean, I don't think she has the votes to become speaker, but if you had a, if you had a bunch of people getting really being creative, um, she's shown the ability to work with a lot more people than, than, than a lot of people on the, on the left have. And I just, I don't think anyone else has that kind of profile and that ability to go across the country and, it's different. When Nancy Pelosi comes to town, she's not inspiring. There's not a crowd of people coming out there, but there are a crowd of millionaires who are coming out to see her. That would be different. AOC would go town to town. She would actually have a crowd who would come out to see her. This, But is the future of the party small donors anyway, is, is something right. to think about. Well, what Nancy does is she rain makes from her ultra wealthy district. She does these 
like confabs, believe me, like when I used to work for house members, what you wanted was the golden ticket. It was, you were like Charlie Bucket in Charlie in the Charlie Chocolate Factory. You wanted yeah. that golden ticket, which was the invitation to her big Napa fundraiser, which is like all right. the richest people in California <laughs> descend on a vineyard. And all you have to do is show up, smile, not drool on yourself, and you will get a million dollars for your, for your, it's like, it's, 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 it's like in the dark night, it's like one night with my friends says Batman and you'll be all set. So there's that. And, you know, Steve Israel, when he was the head of the DCCC, he could rain make pretty well because he represented a relatively wealthy Long Island district. Yeah. You're right about AOC though. If you, if you make her one of the primary fundraisers for the Democrats, it's mostly on the low dollar end. It's not yeah. that that kind of high dollar. And and here's the thing about her. She, as the party, you don't want to do that. First of all, you don't want her as the face of the party because that's what Fox News wants. Second of all, she's not exactly miss like play nice with the party and yeah. boost the whole team. You know, I'm sorry if this sounds harsh to her, but she raised 20 million freaking dollars in her last campaign and she won by 50 points. She won by 50 points, people. And she wasn't like handing out those millions to her endangered colleagues. And she was like doubling down on, oh, defund the police was a great slogan. It was a great strategy. Abigail Spanberger, you had a problem in your race because you didn't use social media, right? So eh, no, no, I, I, I wouldn't want that. Yeah, it's a really question about the future of the party. It, it would require her to want to do it in a, in a way that would make her want to do compromises and change who she is as a person. But I mean, just the fact that she's, she is basically trying to build up an insurgency in the party. That would be, that would be incorporating her and would, you would have to kind of, it would be like biting her as a vampire and she would have to give that up in a certain way. And I don't think she's interested in doing that as much, but, but it is, it is interesting to see who, who could replace Nancy Pelosi. I mean, I didn't think Barack Obama was a replaceable and, you know, Joe Biden surprised on, on that way, but right, uh, right. It, well, first of all, you're reminding me of that documentary, The Lost Boys. You never invite a vampire into your house. It renders you powerless. Although yes. <laughs> it is interesting. I, you, you, that's an interesting flip on it. The idea that, look, it's like LBJ said, you'd rather have him inside the tent pissing out yes. than outside the tent pissing in. And maybe if you could incorporate her into leadership. I wrote an article about this three years ago where I begged her, you're a leader now, AOC. You are a leader. So be a leader be a leader, think about the team, think about the welfare of the party. And if she did that, look, we all, I just said this about Nancy. At 70 plus, Nancy kept improving. She she raised her game. She got better. She thought more strategically. AOC is, is relatively young and she has plenty of opportunity to do that. She's super smart. You know, maybe, maybe. From the left, I would say that the, the thing that, she's, that she brings to the party, <laughs> that the multiple Democrats in their late 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s, and 110s, don't bring the party. She is connected to people who don't vote. And if Democrats could, could turn out to vote in record numbers, people of color, younger people, if Democrats could get them to turn out the way Republicans have gotten white evangelicals to turn out, there would be no competition in the parties. There would be, you basically have a 2008 election every single time. So, I mean, is that such a promising allure that Democrats, that both sides could move towards each other? I would have to say, I hope so. I think she's more in tune with the electorate than, than I, I, not as in tune with with DC, but I think she is in tune to where the country is going. 
you know, the defund the police is a is a bad. I, I ultimately do not like any slogan that that plays to Republican strength, but I do think she's right on in the sense that we spend more money on um, fighting crime and have more people in prison than anyone in the world and have higher crime than anyone in the world. And it's it's a huge waste of money. I think there's a way to go at that issue that that speaks to a lot of people and having debates about slogans and being being married to a slogan is kind of a weakness, I think, in anyone mm. in any. But I think. Otherwise, she's an amazing communicator. And, and well, right I, you know, and back to your question about like who would emerge, I, it might just be one of these things where we're, we're, we're kind of ripping off this whole theme for today off of an NBA podcast. And maybe we just haven't seen, we're a little blinded by all the talks about the top draft picks, but maybe we haven't seen the, the right person emerge yet. I mean, Hakeem Jeffries, he likely inside track to be the next Democratic leader. You know, there there could be Katie Porter is a very effective communicator. There are Katie Porter is kind of the AOC compromise version. She's a little bit more right. like, yes, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think we were just talking about Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, I think there is an opportunity. We wouldn't have said that Bill Clinton, after 1988 and his interminable convention speech that he had to mock himself for because it was so damn boring, we wouldn't have said, okay, this is the future great communicator, sort of like lightning rod of the party. But he, he kind of grew into it. And there there are people out there who we may not have even identified yet. There, there. All the house managers from both impeachments could be potential leaders in a way that, like they, that was just an all-star team of potential other there you go. I mean, just had Jamie Raskin on the show last week and, yeah. you know, talk about a guy who's like got brains just like oozing out his ears. You know, there's a, there, there's some possibilities there. All right. All right. I can't even remember. Is it your turn or mine? I think it's my turn. I, I, all right. You go. Yeah. 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 Are we sure there's not going to be a constitutional crisis? Not, not in 2024 where everyone's predicting it, but in 2022. Ooh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So I think that this is one of those where it's less likely because you don't have the same setup of problems that you'd have in 2024 and that were present in 2020 when you had Donald Trump in office and, and, and you had more Republican strategic control points. But what happens, you were just saying at the very top of the show, you think it's pretty 50-50 for both chambers. Yeah. And the and and power is in the balance. This is a big deal. This is high stakes stuff. So what happens if it comes down to an election and there's a recount and Republicans are in charge of election administration in that state? So, for example, we were talking about Cortez Masto in Nevada and Look, in, in in Nevada, there's a Republican Secretary of State, I can't pronounce her last name correctly, Bar Barbara Gavsky, anyway, and she did not go with the flow, the national flow. She was actually censured by the Nevada Republican Party for not having conducted an investigation into big lie, fraud, right. BS, you know. But what if this all comes down to the election in Nevada and for control of the Senate? And she's under massive national pressure. And we start seeing we start seeing a lot of shenanigans there, you know, and there's an open question. We have seen this happen before. There was the famous Durkin election in, in 1974, I want to say, in New Hampshire, where it played out for like eight months. They couldn't decide who held it. Does either party back down when control of the U.S. Senate is at stake? Arizona 
is looking relatively okay for Democrats right now for Mark Kelly. But what if it comes down to Arizona? We know what Arizona got up to last time with audits, you know, and then there's that Russ Feingold factor that I mentioned before. Like, so no, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure that we won't see a huge impasse and a, a bit of a crisis in 2022. What do you think? We are going to have, regardless of what happens, who wins either side, we're going to have dozens of Republicans who are not going to concede their races. That's just that's Donald true. Trump no, you're right. You're right. You're right. I hadn't even he, thought about that. Yeah, he, he has just made that the norm in the Republic. There's no cost. He's proven there's no cost to not concede. Conceding is ultimately just a ceremonial kind of aspect of the government. But we're but you see what happens when you don't concede is almost anything could happen. You could have an insurrection, for instance. So I, I, in cybersecurity, they call it a denial of service attack, where they just bombard a web page, for instance, with as many attacks as possible. It brings the site down. So what happens? If we have, a lot of these are jokesters or people who are, if you do that in Michigan, we have a great secretary of state, like you're saying, but you do that, you know, what if in, even in Virginia, we now have Republicans up and down the line who these could be key house races in there. And you don't just have one or two of them. You you have them throughout the country. And it, it, it's basically, you talked about them reenacting constitutional conventions in these hotel rooms. I think of these people as almost civil war reenactors. I think they want the conflict. They want rise of conflict there. And, and you have someone who leads the Republican Party who any unrest is good for him and his friend, you know, who he models himself after, Putin, has the same kind of mentality. Anything that hurts our democracy is good for the authoritarians, the oligarchs, the billionaires. They want unrest. So that really is my worry there. And I, I mean, I'm a constant worrier. So that, 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 that keeps me up at night. You know, I was just thinking of sort of building on your, because you, you actually, I buried the lead in newspaper parlance. You said the most important thing, which is, yeah, you're going to have all these people refusing to, to concede. And there are going to be pliant secretaries of state and election administrators who are Republicans who are going to engage in and indulge in yeah. and want to buy into this. And the Supreme Court has weighed in on this because both chambers of Congress actually have the ability under the Constitution to refuse to seat members yep. elect. And the Supreme Court has had to weigh in on this. And they did in 1969. And they limited the powers of the Congress to refuse to seat an elected member to when that individual doesn't meet the specific constitutional requirements like age or citizenship or residency or whatever. But Okay, how much do we trust this Supreme Court? Right. How much do we, I mean, I know another precedent that goes back to only four years later than that, that the Supreme Court said was fine to. So, I, I mean, can I prove that if Republicans have a, what looks like a majority and they have a speaker and they they say, well, we're, we're not seating these three Democrats to give ourselves a bigger majority because we think that those elections were rigged. And then there's a lawsuit. I mean, who decides? It goes to the Supreme Court. Do I feel do I feel sanguine about this? No, no. Actually, yeah. you know what? You have convinced me. I I I am much more worried about this. Oh my gosh, you 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 got me on this. I I'm much more worried about this than I thought I was going to be. I, I follow follow Mark Elias, who does the do Democracy Diet do Docket, and he has been on your podcast. I I believe, and and he talks about the amount, the horrendous amount of lawsuits that have already been filed this year. In, in Georgia right now, there's something over 
there's tens of thousands of ballot, of, they're contesting voters. They're just picking random voters off the board. They're just trying to flood the system. And, and the courts held up really nicely in 2020. I have to, for as many people as, and, but Donald Trump appointed a bunch of people as he was committing an insurrection and planning. A re- so the courts are even worse than they were at the beginning of 2020. So basically our hope is that the courts hold up and that is a, that's a rickety hope as you were pointing out. Oh my gosh. Wow. All right. I'm too depressed. I'm too yes. Depressed. Let's move this on. Is, this is, let's move on. Oh boy. Are we sure, are we sure that we've seen the biggest October surprise come out yet? This is, this is really like, we are back in some 80s stuff right here. You know, this is stuff that we grew up with that, that, that I think generations have kind of thought wasn't happening. But I think the, the October surprise that, that we all have to be considering, and it is really a horrific one is a nuclear weapon can go off. Mm. And Putin has proven, and Biden's instincts about Putin have proved, been proven to be extremely apt. He's gotten him nailed him right there. The fact that Putin keeps talking about nuclear weapons, keep talking about a red line in, in, Crimea, in Crimea, which is Ukraine. He just decided it wasn't Ukraine. And uh, he could decide the same about Alaska. And it's not his. It's, you don't get to decide that. If you invaded it and, and you occupied it, it doesn't mean it's yours. And Ukraine doesn't believe that that part of their country. So there's a war going on and, and they're trying to push him back and they may go under you. That could easily happen. I don't know who that helps, but that's the October surprise of of October surprise. I grew up just imagining all the different ways that we could have nuclear winter. And uh, that's my October surprise that I, that my biggest fear that I that could have happen with that, or we get Hunter Biden's laptop and, and discover that he really is actually, you know, the Unabomber or something or some something. Sort. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's interesting. You know, already the approach of the Biden administration has been to view the Saudi decision to to yes. decrease oil production as essentially them throwing in their lot with Vladimir Putin and boosting prices in order to help Putin in his war. You know, and and so I guess it's not a foregone conclusion that Putin wouldn't strategically choose to set off a nuclear weapon in order to mess with our elections. I feel like he's done something along those lines before Russia and, and our elections. But I mean, look, history here <laughs> suggests that there could easily be more and bigger shoes to drop ahead. In 1992, this is in the way, way back machine, the first uh, campaign that I ever got involved in. The Secretary of Defense was indicted four days before the election. That was kind of a big deal. In 2000, we found out about George W. Bush's DWI a few days before that election. That was the big one. I mean, we're talking days. In, in, In 2016, we had the Comey letter and that yeah. that went out on October 28th. And there was very good evidence. Nate Silver did an excellent analysis of this on 538. It's worth Googling that yes, that tilted the election. That's why we ended up with Donald Trump. So uh, no, I'm not sure at all, but boy, this nuclear, you you really you really went all the way on that. I hadn't thought about that one. That's, that's, that's terrifying. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, and then literally, and I think if he were going to do it, he would probably do it if he for timed for an election, it'll be 2024 when he could really actually do the most damage. But I would say something about October surprises and some some tying it back to Herschel Walker at the beginning. Everyone's like, is Herschel Walker going to survive this? Trump survived this. I you survived that. Or is he going to survive it? Trump survived Access Hollywood in several ways. First of all, that night, Access Hollywood tape comes out on Washington Post. That night, the WikiLeaks start. They start dumping emails. They start dumping emails. They're dumping emails every day. Emails, 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 emails. James Comey comes out. I think it was it said eight days for election, nine before emails. 
So there was a kind of just a study, a steady just avalanche of email news that just kind of destroyed Hillary Clinton. I think that was it, that's how they that's how Trump survived. It wasn't just because of his political skill. It was because of just the highest level of intervention in our election by a foreign power and by another foreign power, the FBI. So, so I, I, I don't, I don't know if there'll ever be an October surprise like that, 2016. But I, I do imagine there's, there is something. If there's not a nuclear weapon, there's going to be some sort of dump that comes from. If, if there's any resources left in the, in the, in the Russian arsenal to be kind of targeting our election, there's going to be some hack that kind of comes out in the next week. We just have to anticipate that. Ugh. Ugh. All right. Well, you know, I, I'm here for it, I guess. I mean, all the fun ones kind of pale in, in comparison to the very, very unfun one that you raised. So, yes, yes. And I, let's, let's lighten this up and talk about Dobbs. And, yeah, there uh, you go. And Roe. Are we sure? Talking about this, there's a lot of are we sure here, but this is going to be a normal election. Are we sure that Dobbs, which is this thing that Republicans have been working for for 50 years, they overturned Roe? This is what the whole point of the Republican Party allegedly was and had this massive backlash that we don't talk about very much in Kansas. In Kansas, abortion rights won by almost, it was a 20 points, I think, that they that they won. Are we sure that this isn't, now that abortion rights are on the ballot every state, every election, are we sure there's aren't going to be some random surprises that, that no one is expecting right now? We're not sure. And I've given this mea culpa before, and I will say it again that I did not anticipate how big an effect the Dobbs ruling would have. Mm. I judged from history where blows to abortion rights have always been predicted to be a big deal politically in activating Democrats, and they have not ever panned out that way before. Activists were arguing that this would be different because this would be an a wholesale loss of rights that we'd never seen before. And that would be just a, a, a different proposition for voters. And the evidence so far suggests that they were right. That being said, I don't, there, there is some analysis that's come out recently that maybe that effect is fading a little bit. It's, it's lost a little bit of its salience. Other issues have kind of risen. It's gotten a little bit baked into the political cake already it's sort of had its its biggest impact but your question is has that changed something on a fundamental level has there been like a break in in the way people and you sometimes you see this you see it with candidates for example where like the Mitt Romney 48% of Americans are takers it just fundamentally changed the perception of him i think the basket of deplorables comment kind of fundamentally changed the perception of Hillary Clinton. Has something fundamentally changed about like the level of concern that Americans have about their fundamental rights under a Republican government? And I, I don't know. that It's a profound question. I, and, and I guess I would say I'm not sure. I, I would call myself skeptical based on the limited evidence we have that that something fundamental has changed and that our basic partisan, hyper-partisan polarization isn't still basically ruling our political dynamics, but I can't be sure. And the, and the kind of evidence that suggests that might have changed is, you know, they looked at the voter rolls, Target Smart, Tom Bonnier, looked at the voter rolls in, in Kansas and saw a bunch of 
younger women is especially registering to vote, women out registering men generally in every state where this is happening. But when we talk about that, the sample size is so small because we have done such a good, one thing we have gotten really good at is registering voters in America, most people are registered. They don't turn out enough, but they are registered. So registration is a very small sample. So, but in Michigan, there's a lot of evidence that Prop 3, as I mentioned before, where Roe is literally on the ballot, is motivating people in a way, people are returning ballots by these massive numbers. So that would be my evidence for a different electorate than we might expect. And there's the two random things that I just have to throw at the people, there's close, governor races right now in Oklahoma and South Dakota, which are, mm. you probably don't care about. And it's probably not even worth thinking about too much because the numbers are wrong. And it's really hard to pull these states and they're just so Republican. They're so baked in. But who knows? Who knows? I, I, are there a bunch of pissed off women who are finally going to vote in a different way than they have? They're not going to vote for or with their husbands. And, and you know, who knows? And I, I sure hope so. I really, I just don't think Americans are going to tolerate giving up row, something that we expected we were going to be have for the rest of our lives. I don't, that's my belief. And this may be just superstition and just, just Pollyannaism. It just may be my, just my patriotism where I believe that we don't give up freedoms in America and we don't do it easily. That, that, that's just where I have to believe there's something that could happen that just was going to surprise people. All right. Let me hit you with, I think we should wrap and we should wrap on maybe a good, a good note right? Like a positive note. Look, our president has taken a lot of guff recently. Malarkey, what some would say. Yeah, a lot of malarkey. You know, he's he he has lost a step. He's lost a step. There's no doubt about it. But the question is, are we sure that fundamentally Joe Biden isn't really, really good at politics? I, I would even like I was not a Joe Biden fan. I was Elizabeth Warren. I was, I think I, I lean more to the left than you. I was, I was like, I don't know why he's running. I think he's running for, for the, I thought he was running for the same reason that teenagers have sex and the, the, what else are you going to do? Like, I, I just, <laughs> I just don't think, didn't think he was the right guy at the right time. You thought he was the right guy at the right time. The people who thought that turned out to be right. I was really down on Joe Biden when BBB, when the Build Back Better bill fell apart and that they, we had this infrastructure bill that's a lot of money, but a lot of money for the same old stuff we've been doing forever. When Build Back Better became this Inflation Reduction Act, and that came over the line, we had the chips bill that came over the line. We had, now he's come on rescheduling marijuana with the student loan, uh, education loan forgiveness. And he said, and I mean, I, the interview where I think it was either Jake Tapper, he did one other interview recently where he said, look at who has accomplished more than me in two years. And there really is only a couple of answers. Possibly Barack Obama, just because the ACA was just as a huge piece of the legislation, just so, you know, transformative. We are now have the lowest un uh, uninsured rate by far. And that's all because the ACA, thank God that happened before the pandemic. Thank that we were just blessed that, that had happened. You know, you have LBJ who just probably unmeasured in two years what he accomplished from 65 to 67. I don't think you can really compare with that. But him going out there and saying that, but you also have him creating more jobs, not him doing it, but more jobs created faster under him. And he sucker punched the Republican Party to pass the IRA. No one thought the IRA was going to pass. Everyone thought Manchin was gone. Everybody was like, how do we kick Manchin out of the party? Da, da, da. They sucker punched. They snuck it in there. They got the chips bill. They got the, They got everything that he needed to accomplish and then passed that at the last possible moment. It was, it, it was remarkable beauty. And that IRA made me look back as the most 
bigger than the, it could be bigger than the ACA in the sense that it could be the thing that saves us from just complete climate catastrophe. It transforms, in someone in Michigan, it transforms the American economy. It puts every incentive to create jobs and build manufacturing in America in a way that we haven't before. It turns everything green. I mean, potentially everything good in a way that the only way we could do it because of the political will through the market. I just think what he got accomplished as someone who isn't a huge fan of him and wishes he had appointed more judges faster and da, 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 you know, do have a lot of complaints and just I wish people didn't decide the pandemic was over and he would, he would go with it. I have a lot of complaints about it, but I have to say what he was able to put together at the last moment, it just, it, I'm in a little bit of awe. And this is, I'm not someone who's, who's imagined I was gonna be in awe by Joe Biden. I noticed this headline from the Dayton Daily News. I don't regularly read the Dayton Daily News. I aggregate from <laughs> elsewhere. Yesterday, we're recording this on Thursday, October 13th. Yesterday, the Dayton Daily News headline was Ohio's big win. It was an announcement that Honda and LG Energy Solutions are putting $4.4 billion into electric vehicle and battery manufacturing. It'll create more than 2,500 new jobs. And it just struck me. It reminded me that despite the fact that we're using a gimmick and we're trying to have fun with this discussion on a bunch of serious topics, you and I aren't in this for the sports match nature of it. If yeah. we were just sports fans rooting for red versus blue, we could we could be into football or, or basketball or whatever. We're in this because we're people who really care about the underlying work that goes on. When I was a staffer and I went to work and I would walk up literally under the shadow of the Capitol Dome every morning, I felt honored and sort of misty-eyed, and that never, ever went away because I thought what we were doing mattered and was consequential. And in the future, for the 2,500 people who are going to be working in Ohio on good, high-tech manufacturing jobs because of the Inflation Reduction Act, it matters. And for the people who are going to be working at those new facilities with further billions of dollars of investments in upstate New York that were recently announced because of the semiconductor and manufacturing bill that was passed. It really matters. And you go down the line, the 3 million plus children who did not have to live in poverty because we passed the, the ACT bill, the, the COVID bill at the beginning of Biden's term. The list goes on and on and on the 6,500 people who are incarcerated for marijuana possession for federal crimes, the, the thousands of students who are going to get relief, even if the executive order doesn't go through, just, just merely the, you know, the, the ability to continue to have their, their interest abatement. I, the impact is so real and it's so profound. And I agree with you, maybe, maybe FDR, maybe LBJ. I would say that Biden has surpassed Obama's impact. And it's really unrivaled and it's really positive. And what's, what's so revealing is that when you bring all of this stuff up with Republicans, they respond by saying, Hunter Biden or immigrants are scary or crime bad. 
because well, and they there show is up no at response. The, the ribbon cutting ceremonies to take and they, credit for it. And they asked for, we didn't even bring up the freaking infrastructure bill. Do you yeah. know how many Republicans voted against that and then quietly say, hey, Pete Buttigieg, yeah, I'd really like a bridge because there's one that's falling down. It's about to kill all my constituents in Mississippi. <laughs> Could you help me out? All of this is happening. It's completely historic. And do I expect Democrats or Joe Biden to get a political benefit from it? No, I don't. And I, I, I have to console myself by saying, again, I'm not in this because it's a sports match. I'm in it because I care. And in 10 years or in 15 years, we're going to look back and say millions of Americans' lives are better off because of the last two years. Did I think Joe Biden was going to be the one president in modern history who took on the prescription drug industry and actually won something? I absolutely did not expect the president from, from Delaware, from the credit card companies to be the guy who did that. And, and, and it's so, the IRA is so packed with quiet, huge wins, you know, that could have only happened if you pissed Joe, you pissed Joe Manchin off in the way that Mitch McConnell happened to do in a kind of unique way that, that we're not, we're going to be unpacking those wins and, and sell it. If we still have a Republic in a country in a few years from now, these wins are going to be unfolding here and here. And the story you're talking about in Dayton, in Michigan, there's 10 other stories like, like that, that you just kind of see over and over again. And, and it, 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 like you said, it's not just those guys who wanted to work. It's their kids who perspective aren't going to be dealing with as much drought and famine because we're using EVs and, and you know, and we're moving away from, you know, fossil fuels because of the IRA. It, it really is. It, it's just huge. It's, it's really huge. And it's good. And as scary and as, as, as scared as I get and willing to make you by imagining a mushroom cloud, it, it, it is good to remember that there's actual good that gets done. Well, there's one of those new words that, that people came up with, the Doppler effect, which is the property of stupid ideas coming at you so fast, they begin to sound smarter. <laughs> but I think we've had the inverse of that in the last two years. There's been so many accomplishments coming at us so fast. You're right. We're going to take years to unpack them and to see all the results. It'll be long past the midterm elections in 2022, the presidential election in 2024, the likely constitutional crisis and meltdown of the country <laughs> in 2025. We'll be Ivanka long past Trump's that. third term. <laughs> yes. In case we survive all of that, though, yeah. I think the benefits are going to continue. Look, speaking of the Doppler effect, we have thrown a lot of ideas out awfully yeah. fast over the, I don't even know how long we've gone. This is a new record for Beyond Politics, but it's been absolutely <laughs> delightful, totally fun. Thank you so much, Jason Sattler. We'll just have to wrap it here and we'll get you back for another one of these. Thanks so much, Matt.